from Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C. This is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at HPS, and today I'm excited to be talking with uh, several of my my great colleagues working in the ESG space. I'm joined by my fellow partner, Christina Pearson, Senior Director Jesse Coster, and Director Julia DeSarega. We're going to get into the evolution and landscape of ESG, some of the changing regulatory frameworks that are happening, as well as how companies are really embracing and communicating about ESG. So, um, first, thank you all, Christina, Jesse, Julia, for joining us this morning. Thank Thanks you for having us. Um, let's jump right into it. So we we hear about ESG all over the news. We hear about it in the markets and politics. We hear companies talking about it in their internal communications and their investor communications. I always like to start these episodes. Let's let's just take a big step back. How do you all define ESG? Right. Thank you, Brian. So ESG actually is an acronym for environmental, social, and governance. And it's really a way that companies are thinking about how they are creating long-term value and how they are meeting the needs of all their stakeholders, not just shareholders. For example, in the Milton Friedman understanding of a corporation, which is, you know, shareholder primacy. Um, So when we think about the E, the environmental, it's how companies are being good for the environment. And the S, good for society. So that means customers, employees, that's a big one that we've seen, investors uh, investors too, suppliers, uh, and their communities. Um, And then the G, governance, how companies run, making sure that they are implementing good governance. Um, I think we've seen this. What's been so interesting is this evolution of it's had so many different names and ESG is where we're at now. Um, And it's the most serious that I've ever seen it. Um, So I think thinking about corporate social responsibility was one that companies were thinking about a little bit more in a philanthropic sense. Uh, And now we've really moved it to tying doing good for society, doing well for the business. And we hear about that sometimes as as all sorts of other names, stakeholder capitalism. Um, I think we're all familiar and our audience is familiar what uh, the Business Roundtable did a few years ago around that front. But when when companies are, are developing their ESG initiatives, when they're talking about environment, social governance issues, does that mean they are they are taking action across all three of those pillars? I'll jump in here. Uh, I think that it, absolutely that that is the moment where we are right now is that corporations recognize that they have to be involved in all three of them in order to have um, real impact. And I think that's a true evolution from where we were even a decade ago. I think there's a recognition that um, you can have your own actions, but it also has to be tied to what you are doing with others. And it also has to be tied with your governance policies to keep yourself accountable. Um, And all that has a layer of transparency to it, stating uh, proactively your commitment, your goals, and also giving regular updates on it. That is a true evolution from where we were a decade ago, where uh, a handful of companies um, in certain sectors 
were involved more in the environment, the E side of it. And they were seen as being the ones who had an interest in the E. Now every company recognizes that they have a role to play here. And they also bring in uh, the societal and the governance uh, elements to it as well, um, because everyone does have a responsibility. Um, tell me a little bit more about what's what's driving companies to do this. I mean, some of it is maybe a recognition they need to do more. I I imagine, but correct me if I'm wrong, or I'm pretty confident in this one. There's also a, a tug of war going on where investors and employees and prospective employees are demanding more from companies across all three of these pillars. Yeah, I think uh, we've been talking about how this is not something that's new. Uh, we've seen the evolution of these trends for the last you know, decade or so, but the last two years have been particularly important in the ESG space. Uh, 2021 was a record-breaking year in a number of measures in terms of investing in ESG and thinking about ESG. Uh, you know, ESG-driven funds are expected to reach uh, about half of all investment by 2024. I mean, ev- everyone's thinking about this, but what's very unique is that uh, the E side of ESG has kind of been at the forefront for a little bit. Uh, the climate crisis is something that uh, everyone has started to see direct effects of, especially at the business level. It's impacting supply chains. It's impacting, uh, right. you know, all aspects of the business. But the last two years in particular uh, with COVID, uh, with, you know, dif- different forms of social unrest have really brought to the forefront the S part. And I think to what we've just been talking about, it's not just about investors, but one, your employees. Um, how how do they uh, view not just what your business is about, but the impact that your business has on society and also their communities? So it's not just enough to think about employees, but you know where do they live, where do they work, uh, and how what role does do companies have to play? So I think what's really become clear in the last years is that social factors can really impact a company's performance and they can't be something that is an afterthought for, for companies around the world, uh, especially in the U.S. Uh, companies are really being asked to have a viewpoint on a lot of different issues that they normally haven't had to think about or speak about. Uh, so in terms of the evolution, in terms of what companies are paying attention, uh, big changes from 10 years ago, uh, obviously the environment will always be a focus, but I think they're having to think about uh, how to sustainably think about their business and sustainably think about uh, the impact that they have on their communities and their employees. But and also, can I jump in here though? Because Please. I think that there's what Julia is saying is really important here. That it's companies see themselves as having um, a place in both those areas, but they also see that they have to make sure others that they are involved with, who they partner with also reflect those values. And so I think that's actually a lot of the shift we've seen. And I think it goes to that larger conversation. If you're an investor, um, you, um, your customers have been demanding that they want to invest in um, companies that reflect their values. Um, so a lot of the investor firms have gotten, you know, really led the way in using the power of their position to lean on corporations. You have employees who, um, we've had some great economic growth over the le- last decade, uh, and they are choosing to go to companies that provide, present them with a place where they can work and provide impact. They, they don't just want to get a paycheck. They also want to go to a place they think is making a difference. You see companies uh, themselves saying, 
not just acknowledging their own role, but their whole supplier chain and their vendors, their whole ecosystem that surrounds that corporation, that they have a role to try to work with people, uh, with companies and people who reflect their values and to also um, try to move collective action um, through that by put by setting goals, by making it easier to partner up and to work together and making that a real element of their way to sort of uh, push the weight down um, on others that they work with to also adopt change. Can I ask, Julia mentioned and, and went into detail on both uh, the E and S pillars. And I, I personally think this is what gets the most attention from, from media and investors. But um, those of us who are old enough remember Arthur Anderson and Enron and, and G is such an important factor. And also, I think a factor that a pillar that has been evolving over years. Can, can one of you shed some more information on kind of where companies are approaching G these days? So I, I, I'll, I'll start here. Um, I think that uh, G is one of those areas that has, um, frankly, even take, let's take a step back. A lot of corporations are not just relying on their lawyers to do it or their uh, foundation folks to be involved here or their environmental policy people. A lot of corporations are setting up um, chief sustainability officers, um, people who are responsible throughout the um, throughout their company and often um, report to the CEO uh, about how the company is doing in this area. And so from a governance perspective, going to that, it's really important that a lot of the governance operations increasingly we've seen being moved into, um, into that chief sustainability officers mm -hmm. um, department. It is no longer sort of one person in the legal department um, who gets consulted once a year for the transparency report. It's someone who is sitting at the table every day with somebody who reports to the CEO and giving um, updates on where they are. Um, and it's also, frankly, um, uh, issue spotting and creating processes and systems to stop things from happening, creating um, uh, uh, more redundancy in the system that it's not just one person in the chief sustainability officer. They also are building in programs within their lines of business um, and, and, frankly, educating others in the company about how um, how governance works and how to be accountable and what the right thing to do is. And, frankly, making themselves visible so that people in the company know who to call, which is a real difference. Um, that's a bit of a structural um, element here on the governance side of it, but I think it's really important. It's moved out of just um, a smaller low profile legal issue to something right. that is actually seen as a strategic direction in the C-suite. And that person is visible and accountable and known with, through companies and also to your partners. So you've all you've all mentioned how much has changed in the last few years, but but even going back to Jesse's first point, this this is not new in in some ways. There's there's been decades of focus on this, and through those decades, we've we've moved into an era of you know more information available through the digital transformation. Uh, I think consumers are in a, a period of of hyper transparency where they're looking for more. But but it does seem like maybe more from my vantage point as a as a public affairs professional in DC that the last two years ESG has just moved to like the very top of the list of issues and and maybe that was COVID maybe it was other things what what is so unique about the moment we're in right now that's driving companies to lean into these 
not only the commitments and the actions, but telling their story about it. I think that at this point, companies just can't avoid to do so anymore. So, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say, but ESG considerations are the standard. Um, We've talked about all the different stakeholders that companies are now more actively thinking about. Uh, And, you know, some are more vocal than others in different industries or at different points, but everyone is thinking about this moving forward and and companies understand that to drive long-term value for all, this is just something that needs to be at the forefront of their strategy. Um, We can talk more about how companies are at different points in their journeys, um, but generally speaking, there's a clear understanding that this is something that they have to think about. And Brian, to your point on the question about the G, I think many companies are grappling with what exactly the G looks like. And in my mind, I think with how we work with clients is like the E and the S are major inputs to how you are, you have good governance. So the G almost kind of encapsulates all of this and it become, and it's where companies are moving and what does it mean to have good governance? That's a super good point. Every company is not necessarily in the same place in their journey on the E and S and G, but increasingly recognize they have to be involved in all three. And I think that's really important. Um, But, you know, one other point, going back to your question, Brian, about why this moment, I also, I think it's really important to also think about the atmosphere that we've been in, which is that uh, a lot of the times, you know, a lot of corporate action historically has been moved by some type of event. If you, um, if you are a company that is um, in transportation manufacturing, if you had a crash on a vehicle, that causes you to pay more attention to safety. If you are a company that has the majority of your employees in an area where there were wildfires and you had to evacuate them or a hurricane, you start thinking about what you as a company can do that is right by your customers and your employees. And so I would actually say um, for many companies, even going back to um, you know, candidly, uh, Katrina and, um, and some of the uh, floods that happened and the wildfires that have been happening over the last uh, two decades. Those are, real, those are points that when you talk to companies about why they see themselves having a, a value, why, why, does a, um, you know, why does a small healthcare company in the, mid, uh, in the Northwest want to get involved in ESG? Well, because they had employees who were affected by it. They have you know, patients that are affected by the negative effects of the environment. And so I think increasingly it is seen as everyone has been touched by some type of disaster that has been environmentally related and they want to be a part of creating a solution um, because they recognize that it's not just the government and it's not just one company, it's not just one community. It's, it's a global issue. And, right. and so I think that that's, that's one thing that also reflects too. Um, the pandemic brings that up more than anything else. I was just going to say that's, that's an excellent point. You could, you could certainly touch on Katrina and the wildfires in California and elsewhere in the West, but also COVID was that, unique moment where every company, every government, everyone every in the world, stakeholder in the world was impacted by technically one kind of key moment. And sorry, I just, Jesse. You yeah, mean, sorry. I, I just want to add one more thing to that is like, we cannot forget the investor demand for it. So we we were talking about primacy before, but it is like investors are wanting to see, to, to Christina's point, they're wanting to invest in companies that reflect their values. They're wanting to see 
the ways that companies are doing across these um, different factors. And that has led, of course, like we are currently waiting on SEC after their comment period just ended on the climate disclosure rule. So that investor demand already seeing regulatory movement. Um, that's a big part of the mo- movement of the moment right now. And I think one, one exciting thing is we're seeing an evolution in companies thinking from taking a risk management mindset on these issues. So how do we avoid, um, you know, losing a facility to a major like or preparing a facility for a major climate disaster, moving towards how do we create value for our companies by proactively serving all the needs of our stakeholders? And I think diversity, equity and inclusion is a big example of that, of that focus on, okay, having people from all these diverse backgrounds, race, um, you know, uh, income levels, et cetera, like having all that is super critical to creating value for a company. That that's a great point. And actually a, a great place to pause. Cause I want to, I want to take a quick break and come back and talk about those, those best practices and how companies have made that shift from kind of risk management into integrating ESG into their their core business model. So um, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on HPS Insights. Check out HPS Insights, a regular podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, bringing you the latest on policy debates affecting the business and political communities. Available on the HPS podcast channel on your favorite streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Tune in to the latest episodes and learn more at hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash podcast. We're back on HPS Insights talking ESG with Christina, Jesse, and Julia. And we're going to pivot the conversation to talk more about uh, company best practices and how corporations and organizations can really embed ESG into their business model. So, um, Jesse, maybe I'll start with you. Can we talk a little bit about what you see as best practices for businesses in addition to kind of targets and some of the changes they're making to achieve their goals? How are they really embedding this into their business model? Yeah, definitely. And it's exciting to be working with companies on different parts of the journey on this. But I think the first thing that all companies have to do is get buy-in from the top. This has to come from the top. If it's if ESG is what we're saying it is, which is long-term value creation, it needs to be implemented and operationalized across all business functions, which means that you need leadership buy-in. You need to set those goals so that you can then track against them, which we'll get to. Um, and you need to make sure those are tied to business goals. Um, and then, so I would say that's, you know, the first, the first, just setting the strategy and setting goals and, 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 you know, setting those milestones, then communicating on those goals. Um, many companies, uh, report in different ways and there's not one set way to do it. Um, that's especially because of this moment, we don't have standardization, right? Um, so, so what we've seen is an amalgamation of folks, you know, and especially with all the demands of different stakeholders, really communicating with their stakeholders on what, what do they want? What are the issues that matter to them? What information do they need to make sure that the company is meeting its goals? Um, and then also thinking about the standard setting bodies, um, that align with those priorities. So people think about, um, you know, the global reporting initiative, SASB, 
or the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, um, as well as the UN Sustainability Deve Development Goals, Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so those are different, um, you know, standards that folks have aligned with. And then there are ratings agencies that they can also, you know, you think about a CDP or a Sustainalytics, where they're actually reporting into it, who have a direct um, connection to investors. Um, and then finally, you need to track against those metrics, um, which is obviously no easy task, and continue to report on it, be transparent and communicate on it. Um, and then finally, using your voice, your business in the places that matter for your stakeholders. So some businesses might not be as, you know, focused or exposed in the E um, bucket, for example. So they should lean more into how they are serving and, and helping their employees, their communities. Um, so there are lots of different ways to do it, but though that's kind of the organizational framework that we put around it. I'd, I'd actually add one more step to that too, um, which is part of the leader um, really needing to signal this from the top down. It's also um, a conversation within the company about what is the unique value that they can bring to it. Um, everyone has a role to play, but um, not every not every company um, has to do it in the same way. Um, right. And so, you know, looking at your five-year plan in the C-suite and saying, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of infrastructure investments. We are going to lean into you know, solar power, or we're going to um, and make that investment for our employees, or we are going to, um, you know, lean into uh, reducing our emissions in other ways in our operations through scope three, for example, and really working with our partners. Every company is in a different place and has to figure out what that value is. And um, it's not always, um, frankly, it's not always a solution that exists right now. A lot of technology companies are also finding that their value is in the creation of new products and using technology, um, you know, algorithms through AI for predictive technology, um, things like that um, to create new products that will actually help in the future. And that is a lot of their value as well. And that cannot be discounted as a major contribution to ESG overall. Yeah, I think we've been, this, this framework's very helpful to think about this. One thing that kind of brings it all together is to get started on this, uh, you really need to have a really good fundamental understanding of what the business is. I think we've all been talking about it, but even starting from the top, understanding what your core business is, uh, where your value add is, and you know where you can you can bring the most benefit is super important. I think some companies call it materiality assessment. We've been talking about it, but um, you know if you're a transportation company, you're going to be thinking about your emissions and and vehicles that you use. But that doesn't make sense for every company. So having the fundamental good understanding of your business will kind of set yourself up for success in thinking about how to communicate, what your strategy is, what makes sense to focus on, uh, and even how to track progress too. Uh, it's all sort of tied to having good understanding of what your place in the industry is and what your value add is for all your stakeholders. Well, and I think that's that's also really, uh, and materiality is a really important part of the assessment of also being realistic about where we are. And I think that, you know, for point. example, you are... Um, a car company, uh, the average American keeps their car for, you know, eight to 10, eight, eight to 10 years, I believe. And so uh, even if you have a really great electric vehicle on the market, 
chances are that you're going to have to, there's going to be a generation before um, you're going to have this wide scale adoption. So what can you do to speed that up? We are finding um, incentives, you know, working for policies that will create incentives for folks to um, to lower the price. We are finding uh, infrastructure investments to make sure there are more charging stations, because even if you can afford to buy one, um, you know, if it's not affordable, you're not going to buy one. And then when you have one, you need to have a place to go fill it up um, or or to um, have it serviced. And those are also things that um, places where companies themselves are being very thoughtful as part of the materiality assessment, like what are the also infrastructure needs that we have and going to policymakers and talking about that um, and communities, you know, cities, we, you know, how do we put a charging station um, in a, an easily accessible place uh, that most people can use? Um, how are we gonna do these things is also a very important part of the conversation about where that company can provide value. Yeah, very, very good point. Um, something we saw a lot of last year with the infrastructure bill too on, on exactly that. Um, let me ask, uh, when, when we think about how companies hold themselves accountable or, may, or maybe even how government holds, holds companies accountable, I know Europe has some st- strict standards and, and DC at the SEC, excuse me, the US and the SEC are certainly looking into uh, more climate disclosures. But Thinking a little bit internally for a minute, what what are the kind of metrics and how are companies holding themselves accountable to their goals? Yeah, I think we've we've touched on a number of these, but sort of uh, summarizing it all in one spot. You know, it starts from the top, um, having C-suite level uh, folks who are thinking about this and oftentimes tying into performance. Uh, sometimes that means hiring specifically a chief sustainability officer. A lot of companies have chief diversity officers now too. So uh, bringing folks in whose responsibility is to think about this as part of their jobs and compensation, Um, you know, having board uh, groups, subgroups, committees that are thinking about this too. Uh, Obviously every company's structure is a little different, but uh, emphasizing that this is a metric for success uh, long-term and as as we mentioned, the transparency and metrics, you know, clear metrics that are stated uh, ahead of time is important, both from an investor perspective, but also just to communicate to all other stakeholders from employees, um, you know, even to to other folks outside the, the company who are uh, looking at performance. So, you know, what are your goals? Uh, how are you holding yourself accountable to them? Uh, and then a performance summary at the end of the year or a, a, a period of reporting. So making sure that if people are looking for information, they also know where they can find it um, and have access to that. I think we talked about, you know, a lot of governments are starting to think about this. So there will be more uh, transparency involved in the process going forward. But companies who are starting on that journey now will sort of be ahead of uh, what's to come. I think actually the report, though, um, transparency reporting has become the baseline. Like every, com- that is the expectation that every company. That's the bare minimum. At, that's a bare minimum. Um, now, uh, I also would say that uh, part of the reason that we have governments, the SEC, others starting to get involved is because the quality and the transparency of that reporting varies from company to company. And some of that reflects um, their maturation on the journey. Sometimes that reflects uh, a concern about um about uh, the validity of the data. It is very hard, for example, on scope three, it is very hard um, to go very far down that uh, with with all the accuracy. 
Um, there is um, also conflicting metric standards out there um, and processes about, about how to do it. And so, well, I think we're a lot further than we were a couple of years ago. I think that part of the reasons that um, the motivation behind uh, governments around the world trying to create some kind of standard um, in transparency is because of the differences, not just um, for one company, but also countries. Countries emphasize different points of things. And um, what you re- what you do may be reflective of what you do in the US, but it's harder to gauge, uh, but you don't do right. it out there. And so I think that um, transparency though, having an annual report is the bare minimum. Um, I would say that um, participating in the standards uh, is considered the bare minimum now and being a part of that conversation. Uh, and I would also say a lot of companies are moving towards um, quicker reporting um, instead of having you know one big thick paper report that comes out once a year that um, that it has information that's a year out of date. Right. A lot of companies are now trying you know throughout the year making their reports digitally based so that it can be real time so that also frankly that information reflects what you're doing in this fiscal year as opposed to two fiscal years ago. So can we, um, I, I actually would love to maybe close out on on one of the the points you just made, Christina, um, and maybe to bring it to back to the work we do every day. But um, transparency seems so critical in this segment that this is not room for, for spin or your best face. But, and because of that, I think companies can really struggle about how to tell their story on the ESG side. And sometimes that requires transparency. Sometimes I feel like they are just chasing headlines and chasing the news as you three have worked very closely with companies to tell that story. How can those internal chief communications officers, chief, you know, um, corporate affairs officers really be more effective in how they share their company's story? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with, picking up on the, the reporting and how you have your leaders out there. Um, I think the one thing that makes the challenge a little easier is to, is honesty. Um, and I think that a lot of companies um, get into trouble when they tout an incremental change um, and that they, uh, they try to use it as a media moment when it actually should really be about an evolving conversation that, um, an evolving journey that they are on. And, and I think that, um, you know, you know, candidly, this is, this is a long-term thing and no one company is ever going to solve this. You know, you, you cannot right. be, um, you, you can't be a food company and take on plastics and solve the plastics problem. There's so many other people who use pla- other companies that use plastics. And so it has to come from a realistic sense of this is what our company did. Um, here's where we made strides, here are the places where we didn't, but here's where we think um, we're going to learn from that and take it on in the future. And so I think um, I think a lot of what stops companies historically from engaging is that they're, they're nervous about appearing like they failed. And, I, and it is not failure in this area. There are enough companies out there and enough stakeholders out there trying to share their journey and also trying to solve this together. It's not 
of what a company, no one company caused the problem and no one is going to solve the problem. And so if you recognize that and recognize that you are part of community on a journey and talk about, you know, candidly where you, um, you need to set high, high aspirations, but also be clear about why you, you may have fallen short this year, but we're going to change next year to, to try to yeah. reach that goal. Um, candidly, I think there's been a lot of understanding out there. As long as you were a legitimate participant in that process, continuously engaged, globally engaged, um, and having and being brutally transparent about it, right? Brutally yeah. transparent. I think um, brutal transparency um, has aided a lot of companies um, as they went on this. And also quite frankly, you know, the flip side of that is not treating it, um, while it is a brand value to want to have impact, not treating announcements as a media opportunity for a one-off show of how great we are, but also really looking at your communications as part of an integral part of how you as a corporation um, are working in communities and um, with seriousness, not just a one-day media opportunity for one nice article. Yeah, Christina, I completely agree on the challenges front. I think communicating on the challenges, actually, there's an authenticity to that, which companies need to approach um, these issues with. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just like drive, it drives back to your purpose of your company and what you're there for. And so, yes, there are so many standards and there is a lack of standardization right now that is leaving companies kind of confused on what to align with, what to report on. But at the end of the day, if you are communicating directly with your stakeholders on what matters to them and also soliciting and listening mm-hmm. what they want to hear from you, then that's that should be exactly where your priorities are if you are serving your stakeholders at the end of the day. And actually, I'm sorry, um, that is really important, though. We haven't talked about, um, I'll just briefly remind that your stakeholders also include the groups, out, out, the groups out there um, who work um, in environmental policy. Those are ones that um, are part of the stakeholders that you need to be at the table with and talk to. It's not just your investors, your employees, your customers. There's also folks who are ex- experts um, and advocates that really do, you need to understand where they're coming from and what lessons you can learn from them. Um, and there are important stakeholders in this as well, that I think that's also really important for companies that are meaningfully engaged to do. Yeah, just quickly add a plug for what is our HPS model here, which is show, don't tell. Uh, I think companies should really think about, uh, you know, not just telling others and, and stakeholders that they're committed and what they're doing, but really focusing on how are, how are they showing that? Uh, how are they really bringing to life their impact? Uh, not just, you know, with not empty promises, but n- not just commitment either. Uh, the, the tracking and the, the showing, showcasing how you're bringing everyone along on your journey is super important. Well, there's so much more I would love to dig <laughs> into, but unfortunately, I think we're out of time. Um, but my my sincere hope, this is the first of, of many conversations on this topic uh, on HPS Insights and, and elsewhere. But thank you to all of you for, for joining us, Christina, Jesse, Julia. We really appreciate it. Um, for everyone listening, you, you can follow along and find out more about our work on Twitter, at HPS Insight, on our website, HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast. 
produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.